Tony, they said this day would never come. Governor, having been duly elected, are you now prepared to take the oath of office? Yes, I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Tony Evers. I, Tony Evers. From the Wisconsin State Journal, I'm Elizabeth Beyer. This is Front Page, a podcast that takes a look back at some of the State Journal's most interesting recent stories. And the Constitution of the State of Wisconsin. And the Constitution of the State of Wisconsin. As Governor Tony Evers closes out his first year in office, politics and state government reporters Riley Vetterkind and Mitchell Schmidt reflect on the Democrats' effort to work with a Republican majority in the state legislature during a time of divisive partisan politics. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations. <laughs> Well, it's been quite a whirlwind of a year. You know, this is the first Democratic governor in Wisconsin since 2011. And I think for for a lot of people in the political world, you know, it's just been a, a really big change coming from Scott Walker's Wisconsin. Scott Walker is a monolithic figure in this state. He uh, had huge presidential ambitions. Um, you know, a lot of people say everything that he did up until 2015 was, you know, eyeing the national stage. He was a very divisive character in the state, um, if you love him or hate him. So to go from somebody like Scott Walker to somebody like Tony Evers, who is in a lot of ways almost the direct opposite. You know, he has a uh, background as a teacher. He's tried to position himself above the political fray and um, kind of disgusted with it is kind of the attitude that that he's been putting off. Um, he still managed to to alienate a lot of people, but it's just a very different uh, political style than Scott Walker. The first six or seven months uh, of Evers' time in office was dominated by the state budget process. It was a signature moment for the governor, his first state budget. State budget. State budget. The budget will dictate priorities. It doesn't appear they're willing to compromise. So that started at the end of February when he made his official address, although there were some news leading up to it of what he was going to include. He had campaigned on a lot of big themes of, uh, of improving access to health care, specifically by expanding uh, Wisconsin's Medicaid program by taking federal dollars for that. Um, he had campaigned on criminal justice reform, so that was a pretty big, bold promise of, of reducing the state's prison population by half. Um, he also, uh, being a, a former teacher and state superintendent, uh, he also campaigned on uh, precipitously increasing the amount of money going toward public education in the state. Uh, so I think it was, you know, over, uh, I think as much as $1.4 billion toward education, uh, K-12 education as a whole. Uh, I think around $600 million of that going towards special education. But, um, you know, completely different set of priorities than uh, what Governor Walker had spent most of his eight years uh, working on. You know, Walker kind of shut down the Transportation Projects Commission, whereas Evers kind of ran on more of a pro kind of fix the roads campaign. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that he uh, Mm kind of strove for that. And those are some things that came out in his his budget a little bit. How did voters respond to Governor Evers' first year in office and what were some of his accomplishments? Well, I think just one thing to note, um, as we sit, you know, it's about, well, I guess it's over a year now since he won election. Um, The latest Marquette poll, I believe it was from earlier in December, shows about 50% of Wisconsinites approve of his job performance and 38% disapprove. You know, despite it being a very, very close election, he has at least remained above water with support from voters. That's not always the case with politicians. He was also able to 
relatively successfully navigate the state budget process. I mean, when we were uh, coming into the budget process, a lot of people were expecting that the state budget could could drag into you know October or even later. Uh, so it was uh, actually a surprise to I think a lot of people watching the budget process closely that that he and Republicans were able to strike a deal. Uh, and uh, signed the budget relatively on time. I think we had a state budget that was two or three days. Uh, I think he signed it on July 3rd, so two or three days past um, the expiration of the prior state's budget. So it's a pretty decent sign of his ability to to get things done, given that he's working with uh, you know political parties uh, who who are very opposed to most of the things he he was running on. Governor Evers is the first Democratic governor in Wisconsin since 2011. Uh, members of the Republican Party currently make up the majority in the state assembly and Senate. So, how is Evers' relationship with those members of the legislature? Not good. Um, <laughs> I think for somebody who has tried to position himself as somebody who can unite Wisconsinites, uh, I, I don't think that he has done that all that successfully, at least within the Capitol. Um, in the Capitol, he has continued to anger Republicans. Um, he and his staff have not been able to strike up a, a meaningful dialogue with Republicans on on a lot of issues, especially since the passage of the state budget. And so there's just kind of a chemistry problem, I suppose, between between Evers and everyone else, um, well, the Republicans in, in the legislature, at least. Both of them like to blame each other for, for that relationship. Um, I mean, if you ask Evers, he'll say that he's, you know, and his staff, they'll say that they've tried very hard to reach out to Republicans. Um, so maybe this is just a relationship that can't be uh, can't be salvaged, um, but they they need to work together to some extent to keep the government working. I mean, they have on, on the critical things, but on the on the not so critical things, um, you know, passing you know different packages of bills outside of the state budget process, you know, it's kind of been tough uh, to see anything really meaningful uh, happen. You know, there's just a lot of petty partisan fights that have been happening. Take you know, homelessness funding is one thing that we've been bringing up quite a bit. You know, there's just been not a lot of reasons given for why it's not happening, but yet the funding continues to sit and each side continues to blame each other for why it's not getting passed. You know, you've got the Republican side arguing that, well, the governor has the ability to release these funds now, but then on the flip side, the governor is asking joint finance to release these funds. And I guess as Riley had pointed out, it's kind of a, you should do it, you should do it, but neither side has really kind of spoken to why they're not doing it. You've got disagreements on marijuana, whether it's recreational or medicinal. Uh, Gun control came up. Um, That was obviously its whole saga on its own. Giving Republicans the opportunity to hear the people of our state and to do the right thing and providing ample opportunity for time for them to do so. Unfortunately, the Republicans did not act. I've noticed several times what's inscribed on the ceiling of the governor's conference room. It says, the will of the people is the law of the land. So today, as promised, I'm calling on the legislature to meet for a special session on gun safety reform. Um, Yeah, no, I think it's just kind of been a a lot of kind of partisan clashes. Yeah. At least that's kind of what we've noticed. And, and on, you know, the big issues that a lot of voters 
partisan voters especially think about. So when we think about the big issues of the Democratic Party, you know, health care overhauls, you know, expanding Medicaid or legalizing medical or recreational marijuana um, on the Republican side, you know, uh, bigger tax cuts for people or restrictions on on access to abortion, etc. You know, on a lot of these marquee issues, it just it seems like each party I mean, this is a trend in, in American politics in general, but each party is just so far apart that there just is such there's a shrinking space for any productive dialogue on anything that they share in common. I mean, there's a lot of bills that, you know, I think there's um, probably nearing 100 now uh, of bills that, that the governor did sign. But that's all fine and good. But a lot of these are very small, relatively insignificant bills that, sure, they, they help, you know, different groups of people. But are they really changing the, the, the course of the state? Probably not. Um, I guess maybe that's just the reality of state government when it's under split control. But there isn't a lot of productive dialogue on, on big changes that can be made where both sides agree. Looking forward, has Evers signaled that he plans to reach across the aisle and make a visible effort to heal that partisan divide? We had the opportunity to sit down with him, with the governor. And I mean, he, I think he expressed a a desire to have more of that bipartisan conversation. He did say, you know, I have an agenda to push and, and, and objectives, but it's going to take a buy-in from Republicans to get any of that to fruition. I know that, I mean, I, I don't know, I think, you know, meeting with, with leadership would probably be one of the first steps. I, I know, he, I think uh, Senator Fitzgerald had said they had met, I think he had said he had met with the governor three times this year, uh, 2019. Um, but did say they're hoping to meet early 2020. Whether or not that translates to momentum, I guess, is yet to be seen. I think the timing here is important to note as well. I mean, we are on the very end of the political calendar, so things are kind of winding down now. The budget's been passed, and lawmakers are now transitioning to campaign season uh, in 2020. And so everything that was a significant piece of legislation has already made its way through the Capitol. Um, People are now focusing on especially the presidential election, although we do have a state Supreme Court election and and other local elections to prepare for. But, you know, I think this is the the time when um, it's kind of end of close close of business. Um, You know, there's some minor bills that will be coming through the legislature to close it out. I think that uh, Senator Fitzgerald talked about a potential tax cut in the new year. I don't know if the governor is too supportive of that, so um, it may be unlikely to happen. Um, there may be other uses for that money. You know, one area that they might be able to work on is uh, Lincoln Hills. The state's troubled youth correctional facility is in the headlines again. The center is accused of inhumane disciplinary actions like solitary confinement for long hours, plus corrections officers accused of using excessive force. A youth prison in northern Wisconsin is currently under law ordered to be closed by mid-2021, but there is not enough funding in the budget to be able to close that prison by that timeline. Uh, And so... People could work together in the Capitol and and try to scrape up some funds for this. Um, The governor put more money in his budget to close it on time, but Republicans rejected that. And so here we sit without enough money. Um, The governor told us in an interview last week that, you know, he's hoping, you know, maybe the state can find uh, funding elsewhere by maybe delaying projects or, um, you know, maybe the revenue picture in in the new year looks a bit better than proposed. And so it's possible we could use that money uh, potentially to, to close Lincoln Hills. But it's interesting because this was an issue back in 2018 that received unanimous, near unanimous 
unanimous support from both Republicans and Democrats. Um, they it was kind of a rare moment when when um, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle got together and it was really an emotional day and um, there was people you know lawmakers like crying on the floor like doing something that they thought was really meaningful and to see the past you know the past year or so every time a new development occurs it's usually that uh, the plan seems to be kind of falling apart a little bit. So if lawmakers could come together on an issue like that, that you know has a lot of bipartisan support, that would indicate that maybe there there is an olive branch that can be extended. But I wouldn't hold out my hopes as uh, the political the political side of things, uh, the campaign side of things uh, takes more and more precedent. Prior to Governor Evers entering office in 2019, there was a scramble at the end of the Walker administration with the extraordinary or lame duck session. Um, It had been said that the bills passed during this session were meant to limit the power of the incoming administration. Did this impact Evers' first year in office? I mean, yeah, there's no disputing the fact that some of his powers were limited. I mean, you could argue the extent to which his powers were limited, but um, he wasn't able to appoint a CEO of the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation until September. Republicans wrote that into law. I think, honestly, the, the bigger effect of the, of the extraordinary session laws was on the powers of the attorney general. Democrats would argue it is hamstrung Josh Call, the attorney general's ability to do his work sometimes. You know, we've seen other examples over the last couple months regarding just the governor's veto power or vice versa, the assembly's veto override mm-hmm. power. It's just kind of been this lingering dynamic almost. The Assembly did pass the unlimited veto override rule, and I believe the, well, we called it the zombie veto. I don't know if that's the technical term, Um, but it was in relation to the budget item regarding education spending where the governor kind of reconfigured some numbers to uh, boost some education funding. It's kind of that lingering reduction of power that's kind of been happening since the Democratic governor took office. Do you think that reduction of power could impact Governor Evers' traction with voters? I don't I don't think so, really. I don't think by any meaningful measure. I think that to a lot of voters, um, you know, while these laws were very significant uh, for state politics when we were covering them, you know, if you kind of look into them a little bit more, they're kind of esoteric. I mean, they're very – a lot of the arguments made over them are very legalistic and um, – it's not easy for people to follow all that much. And, you know, so when people aren't thinking day to day about, well, gee, you know, the governor's powers are sure curtailed, uh, they're not thinking about that. And they're not, like, when they think about Tony Evers, they're thinking about his demeanor. They're thinking about, um, you know, maybe the time that he swore in front of reporters when he was angry about his cabinet secretary being fired. Like, voters, a small number of voters, I think, are really paying attention to the extent to which his powers were curtailed when they think about his effectiveness as a whole. And so, especially as we move into 2020 with the presidential election as well, a lot of politics is going to be dominated by national uh, events. And so I think that these are kind of out of the limelight for now. That may change if the Wisconsin Supreme Court decides to hand down a ruling uh, on whether those laws are able to remain in effect. I think that one of the bigger takeaways when we think about just what what this whole past year has been about and what the governor wanted to accomplish. He wanted to take federal dollars to expand Medicaid in the state. He wanted to have the state's prison population. He wanted to increase spending on education by a pretty large amount. As the governor said himself, when he passed the state budget, he was able to make an incremental 
as he called it, an investment in some of these things. But it was, in his words, just a down payment on progress in the future. Unfortunately, the budget I'm signing here today is, in many ways, insufficient. So it's not like he didn't make any progress over the past year. He clearly did, especially in the state budget. If you're looking at, you know, the quote-unquote progress through the lens of the Democratic Party. Obviously, Republicans um, have very much uh, been opposed to his agenda, and this is a step backward for them. But he he did accomplish some of his campaign goals. I'd say we should not have been surprised that he did not accomplish fully his campaign promises, if that's what you want to call them, because he does not have the power to make law. Um, he's working with a party, uh, two, you know, two party leaders of, of opposing parties, and so... Uh, I think our expectations should be tempered anyway, but I guess we'll have to see in the year what, what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I think especially when you look at some of the more partisan um, topics that have come up, whether it's, you know, we've talked about gun control legislation or any form of, of marijuana uh, legalization, leadership in the Senate has no interest in, you know, either of those, even in the Assembly, we've been told, you know, don't expect anything this year. So, I mean... To some degree, some of those measures, maybe they were up against a bit of a uphill climb to begin with. So I don't know if, you know, how much that kind of factors into that. I think our budget was a, a, a great down payment on the, the issues that I ran on in schools and roads and, uh, and healthcare. And I think the first two we had great success with. We, had, we set a high bar and you know, the Republicans didn't get to that high bar, but they got part of the way there. So overall, I think that the, the budget was a success. It wasn't a success for uh, total success. It wasn't a total success for either side, but that's what democracy is. And so I feel good about that. And it sets a different, a different uh, a foundation for the budget going forward next year. So I, you know, even though it was lots of huffing and puffing, at the end of the day, it was a compromise between uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, and that was a good, that was a, that was a win. Those are things I talked about on the campaign trail. Thanks for listening to Front Page, a podcast that takes a look back at some of the Wisconsin State Journal's most interesting recent stories. You can find this podcast on our website at www.madison.com slash WSJ, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. <laughs>